0: Like Andrew said, my name is Wade Bryant, and I am the pastor over spiritual formation. And I, I don't know, I just want to start with a question. Do you remember the moment where you actually cognitively thought, "I'm an adult." Do you remember that moment? Was it a moment at a time? Was, was it something that you were like you were conscious of? I remember my moment, and, and it wasn't when, and for some of you, you're like, yeah, jury's still out, Wade. okay, whatever, save your comments for later, but it wasn't whenever I understand what the numbers 401 and the letter K, like that those went together, and there was a, something like that, it wasn't the moment where I started perfecting the sweet dad bod, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> like this is this takes work, people, okay. It wasn't when, when I had Zion and, and my first son was born, because if you're not an adult by then, you better get ready, because God's about to throw you some curveballs. It wasn't any of those things. It was one day, random day, seemingly, when a Labor Day was approaching, where I walked out into my garage, and I saw all of the projects that I needed to do, and I be, began to get excited about having a day off to complete projects. And I was like, whoa, my gosh, like, what's wrong with me? Like, normally, Labor Day, I'd be like, man, sleep in. Like, let's do some fun things. But I turned to Brooke, and I was like, almost giddy. Like, look at all the things that we could accomplish on Labor Day. You know what I'm saying? And that was the moment where I was like, man, I must be an adult. Like, having responsibility for the things that are in my life that I need to do. And so that was kind of my moment. But honestly, Labor Day is tomorrow. So I just want to say happy Labor Day. And whether you're choosing to... Do some labor actually, or maybe you are in a labor intensive job and you're taking tomorrow off. Happy Labor Day. Um, I want you guys to finish this sentence. You ready? Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And for some of you, I say that I say this idea of works over faith, or faith without works is dead, and immediately. There's this sting that comes in like, oh great, Wade's going to give a legalistic message and he's going to talk about all the things that we need to do for the kingdom and how we need to be about working. Well, there is a certain element that as we become so enamored with Jesus and as we are seeking out Jesus and Jesus starts to become a hero in our life, that we want to start modeling our lives after him. And so as we have faith, we start seeing that Jesus was very much about work and he was doing things and he calls us to do things. And so faith without works is dead. It's If you don't work your faith muscle and go and share Jesus with people, you start to atrophy and things begin to fall apart in your life. No, they can't be removed. And so this whole series about pursuit has been about marrying those two. As you pursue the life of Jesus, as you pursue him, you start to get this overwhelming sense of, I need to pursue other people. I need to pursue people that that are maybe lost or don't know him. And we walk into this tension of faith and works. Rick Skip said this. He said that Jesus hunts down lost coins, lost sheep, lost sons and daughters. He is a persistent pursuer by nature. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus persistently pursuing people that are marginalized, that are without him, that are lost. And he goes after them with love and compassion. And we also need to be persistent pursuers. We need to have faith that leads to works. We need to have faith that complements our works. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to be today. And just to give you kind of some context of Matthew chapter 9, um, Jesus, essentially, after he gets baptized, he starts going to work. The first thing that jesus does is he starts drawing a crowd because he's performing miracles and he's doing all these things And people start taking notice of it. And so they're like man I want to be healed and I want to know this guy who's doing all these things and so they start following And when a crowd forms Jesus stops and he gives his very first sermon. It's called the sermon on the mount and it lasted for days Okay, you think this 30 minutes is hard? for days. Okay. Jesus starts giving these practical things about Christianity and how he's very much about a relationship and not about a religion. And he starts going to work and people, it lasted so long that people got hungry in the middle of it. And so Jesus made like little snack packs for everybody, lunchables, passed them around. The disciples distributed them. It was really cool. And so Jesus was laboring even as he was laboring by giving a message. And then he continues. He starts meeting with people that are far off from Jesus. He starts going to work. He puts on his work gloves and he meets with that centurion that has no clue about Jesus and and is in this other world. He starts meeting with tax collectors and sinners. He starts healing diseases. He starts making lame people walk and mute people that are demon-possessed. He casts out the demons. Jesus, in every sense of the word, gets his hands dirty by working for the kingdom of God. And if that wasn't enough, at the very end, right before this, he goes and he sees this girl that is dead. And he's like, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And he raises her from the dead. And that is the total freak out moment. If you were in there and you're like, yeah, she's asleep. Yeah. (laughs) Good one. She's like been dead for hours. And then also she's like, Hello. You know, like, what do you do, you know? And so over and over and over again, Jesus is modeling what it means to work hard because of his faith. And we have to take note of this. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. He says this, he says, And Jesus went through the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and the healing of every disease and every affliction, A.K.A. Jesus was working. He was getting his hands dirty. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. And this set of scripture based on the first few chapters before this, where we see Jesus going and doing all these things and Jesus working and laboring hard for the kingdom of God and Jesus healing diseases. It works as this kind of transitional scripture where Jesus is like, it's almost like, I've been doing all these things and I've been bringing you with me, but I need help. I need you to come alongside me. I need you to pray for laborers to join me in working the harvest. And in every sense of the word, Jesus almost, he, he calls these disciples in and works as a transition. G. Campbell Morgan said it like this. He said that Jesus used two metaphors here. First, he used the metaphor of the sheep. But now it's a harvest. These two metaphors are two sides of the matter. The first one, the sheep and the shepherd, show man's need met by God. The good shepherd seeks out the lost sheep and ministers to them. We were lost and Jesus finds us. The second one, the harvest and the workers or the laborers show God's need met by man. I don't know why God chooses to use us to labor for his kingdom. I don't know why he invites us in, but he does. And he says, I want you to join me In my work, and I want you to be laborers in my harvest. And look at this it says, God used and uses saved people to save other people. God says, I want to introduce you to my salvation, I want to introduce you to my love and grace, and I want you to go and introduce others to it. As Mike said, it said, You get life. So that you can give life but this life that we have this grace that we have is not our own Well, we get it so we can give it to others And so jesus in this moment as he calls for the laborers He actually does this little passing of the baton And as he's very much had his hands dirty in all of this and he's been getting his hands Dirty from working and laboring for the kingdom. He grabs a new pair of gloves He hands it over to his disciples And he says I want you to join me I want you to labor for my kingdom as you've seen me laboring. And he hands them a fresh pair of work gloves and says, join me in this. He called them to work in the very next passage. We see this in 10.1. That he called them, his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction, Jesus invited them in and gave them authority and said, now, as you've seen me doing, I want you to go and do the others. And right before Jesus left this earth, he gave a similar charge to us, right? He gave us authority. He said, go therefore, because all authority has been given to me. Now I'm giving it to you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. See, the same authority that he gave to his disciples, he gives to us. And he calls us to labor for the kingdom of God. Our definition of living sent is showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. We are very much called to live sent where we live, work, learn, and play every single day. And so, therefore, we can deduct that every day really is Labor Day. When it comes to the kingdom of God, God wants us to wake up and to join him in his service and his labor in our world. I'm gonna give us four things that are really three things that I think that we need to kind of change and look to Jesus' example as we labor well for the kingdom of God. We need to look in, Because sometimes our labor can be clunky when it comes to the kingdom. It can be awkward. It can be hard. We don't know what to say or do. We don't know if what we're doing actually brings people closer to Jesus. And so we start second-guessing ourselves. But Jesus gives us this roadmap or this model because he's our hero. We need to strive to labor the way that Jesus labored. The first one, the thing that we need Jesus to help us change is the way that we look And no, I don't mean physically the way that you look, like you're really deterring people from Jesus by the way you're dressing. No, that's not it. We need to change the way that we look at our world and look at the people in it. You know, 90% of the information that we receive in our brain is visual. 90% of the the information we receive in our brain is visual. That means that when we come into a room and we see somebody, 90% of the information that we deduct about them comes through just us looking. And so the problem with this is is that we have different lenses of which we look into the world, right? Like we have different prejudices that we might have been raised in. We have different filters in which we look at people based on what somebody is wearing or saying or doing. We look at them differently than we do others. Maybe you have been hurt by somebody that looks a certain way or dresses a certain way. And so when you look at the, another person dressed similarly, like you automatically get unearthed and it's like your, your information about them is negative as it gets transferred. And so we have all these lenses and filters of which we look at the world. I want to give you some examples. I'm going to throw a couple images on the screen and I, w- I just want you to think about what is the first set of information that comes to your brain when you see a certain image, okay? Okay. To flash it up on the screen. The first one is this. What do you see? You see, a teenage boy has cuts all over his arm. Does your heart move to a place of compassion? Or does it move to a place of, well, that's just a teenager who is crying out in the wrong way? Does it come up with a stigma or does it come up with a love and a heart that breaks for them? How about this? When you see a diverse group of people that might look differently than you or dress differently than you, what do you think about? What do you see? How about that person that is at an LGBTQ rally and they're proud of it? What comes into your mind? What kind of thoughts and things do you let come into your brain? You see, as cheesy as it sounds, when it comes to looking at people the way that Jesus looked, we actually kind of need to go to the Jesus optometrist, right? And we need to adjust our eyes and say, is this better or is this better? Is this more godly or is this more godly? Does this reflect Jesus or does this reflect Jesus? Because if we don't, And if we don't try hard to look at people the way that Jesus looked at people, then we're going to constantly fall short of God's desire for us as we labor. No one in here, no one would ever come up and pull up to a accessible parking spot and look at the person that needs that accessible parking spot getting out and be like, look at them always getting the best parking spots. Like none of us would say that, right? Like, We wouldn't do that. That would be incredibly mean. No, we have been trained in the lens of which we look at people that might need accessible parking. We go to this place of, no, I want to help. I want to help because they're they're hurting and because they can't get from here to there very easily. And we we would offer to, to, to carry their groceries or to do whatever to help them get in the building. We would never do that. In the same way, we got to train our brain differently and train our eyes to see people differently, not as this stigma or not as a stereotype, but as something that the way Jesus saw. How about this? Whenever you see a homeless person or a panhandler, where does your mind go? Is it always like, well, they should have helped themselves or maybe they, they should have tried harder or maybe it's a mistrust saying, what are they doing with this money that I'm giving them? the money that they're getting. You know, my, my view of, of the homeless will forever be changed. I went to this thing called Mission Arlington when I was a teenager. It's in Dallas area. And we worked with homeless people. And, I, and I, we served this meal to the homeless population, which there's a lot in Dallas area. But I sat across from this guy named Leon. And I sat across from him. I had a meal with him. I heard his story. And my heart, when I entered into that conversation, was was kind of one of mistrust. It was kind of one of, I don't know what to do with you because I've never interacted with someone like you. But as I heard Leon's story, and I heard him talk about his life, my heart began to churn for him and the situation that he was in. And as if that wasn't enough, God was already working on me. Later that day when we were going home, there was a song that came on the radio and I still remember it. I was like, okay, God, like I get the point, you know? Like, you know, when God like tells you something and you're like, yeah, that was really deep. And then you he reinforces it and you're like, okay, God, like I get it, you know what I'm saying? And so I was on the way home and a song by Seventh Day Slumber comes on called More. And I just broke and I just want to share the lyrics. It says, I am more than what I look like. I'm more than where I've been. I'm more than what they say about me. I'm more than what you see. Do you really want to know him, the man that lives under that bridge? Do you really want to know him and hear about the life that he's lived? If you really got to know him, you might just be a bit surprised how he lost his job in 1983 and how the cancer got his wife. And when we start to look the way that Jesus looked and really take the time to look differently at our world, we'll see that God starts softening our hearts for people when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were helpless, they were harassed, they were sheep without a shepherd that did not know the hope and the grace of Jesus. What would Jesus say if he looked out at Bentonville or Northwest Arkansas? What would Jesus say if he looked at the people? Would he say that we're a people that are stressed out, are busy, or anxious, or fearful? Or are we a people? that appear to have it all together but are crumbling on the inside? Are we a people that are so affluent that we don't really need Jesus? Are we a people that are being proactive in our faith and pursuing Jesus with everything that we have? How would Jesus feel? How would he look at us? I'm gonna end with this, a little practical tip. If you, It's really hard to look the way that Jesus looked if you're constantly right, looking down on your phone it's like super difficult to look at people whenever you're here. The first thing that we might need to do in looking the way that Jesus looked is to look up, to put our phones down, to engage with people and look them in the eye and say, hey, they might be hurting or they might be broken. But when we're constantly like this in a line or we're constantly like this, when we're, we're engaging with other people or engaging with the people that live in our world, we will always miss it. The second thing that we need to transform, and let me say this, to really look like Jesus looked, you've got to read scripture and start to discover how Jesus felt about people, how he called us to pray for our enemies and those who persecute us, how even on the cross, sitting next to some people that deserve the cross, not like him, he looked with compassion and said, today, brother, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't look at that person's past or what the evidence of the cross might have told him. No, he looked beyond that. And he saw them for a person that desperately needed the hope of Jesus. The second thing that we need Jesus to help us do is change the way that we listen. Change the way that we listen Living Scent, the definition, says that we are showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations, all right? I don't know about you what your definition of a conversation is, but for me, it's two sides, talking and listening equally. It's not me going and sharing Jesus by a monologue, right? And presenting the gospel and doing these things. It's not me going in and dominating a conversation. It's not me not caring about what they have to say. And just like we said that we have to look up, we also have to listen up. And it becomes really difficult in our constant connectedness, right? How many of you in the last week, I'm talking to myself here, how many of us in the last week have been distracted while talking to somebody, while we're checking our fantasy scores or we're Responding that buzz or that ping on our phones and we're giving half attention to the person even people that we really care about How many people have have been in that place? I'm afraid that in our constant connectedness that we're actually connected to no one right or anything That we're distracted so distracted and so fearful of missing out On opportunities or that text or whatever it is that we actually miss engaging in a conversation with people this is a little little freebie pro tip for you this next week here's a little challenge a game that you can play it's called the phone stack game when you go out to dinner with friends or you are at the dinner table with your family stack all of your phones up on okay can't turn them off on watch them buzz the first person to check their phones has to pay for the bill or has to wash the dishes okay just a pro tip for you. It'll, it'll transform the way that even at a dinner table, you're engaging in conversation because you're not distracted. So try that next time that you go out. Here's a question. When you are listening to someone, do you listen to be able to respond to them? Or do you listen to understand them? Man, I am the world's worst at this. Because I'm a teacher by nature, I listen to people's stories and I'm constantly, my brain is just going to 90 miles an hour thinking, man, what is some cool metaphor that I can give them right now to help them and help fix their situation that they're in. And so then I become distracted because I'm listening on how I could respond instead of listening to understand them, to truly engage and walk into their world and walk into their hurt and just be there, to just be where they are. You know, when we, when we start to do this and really listen to understand, by the way, scripture calls us to it. It says that everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. That one's for me. It's like James is writing, Hey, Wade, remember be quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, and, and we get in this place where we begin to listen into conversations and listen to someone's viewpoint. And we're like, man, how can I fix this? Or how can I do better? How can I give them a, a thought or a devotional thought or a scripture? Sometimes we have the best intentions for their lives, but it causes us to be halfway listening to them and not be where they are. And I'm telling you guys, in our culture right now, that seems more polarized than ever where we have people on every end of the spectrum, no matter what you put on Facebook, you will get a response that is opposite of yours. Amen? Like you will. We live in a polarized culture where everyone has the ability to post their comments or post what they feel, and we live in this combative culture. We see this, I mean, culminated even in our election. How polar opposites were those candidates that we had? And it was just a marker of our generation, of our culture that we live in, that no matter what you do or no matter what you say, there's going to be always someone that's going to be very loud in their response to that. Can I say that we need to get better at listening to our culture, listening and engaging with those people that even might have an opposite view of us. That's what God calls us to. Caleb Kaltenbach said it like this he said that how do you truly value people you put yourself on the same level as others because we are all imperfect and needy you listen empathetically as they tell their stories accept them as people whom god loves even when you might disagree with some of the things that they say are due we've got to find a way to like jesus entering into messy, broken relationships. Just listen. We need to say things like, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Or I'm so sorry that that was done to you. Instead of offering up some advice or some scripture about how Jesus can make that better, we know Jesus can make it better. But we start with listening the way that Jesus listened. And like I said, this culture that are on polar opposites, it becomes really difficult. There is a tension in our world, right? There is a tension with whether it be racial diversity or whether it be, you know, uh, political diversity or whatever it is, there is a tension in our world. And we as believers have to become intentional in the tension. We have to, with intent, move into the tension and listen well. If you start to do this and we start to do this, you will find that you will enter into places differently. Instead of putting your headphones on or or looking down at your phone, you will start to look and listen for opportunities to show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Be careful because you might just become the pastor of Panera or the chaplain of the cubicle Or the minister of the market or the shepherd of Starbucks. You might, because you're being intentional of how you look and listen in our world, you might find yourself in situations where you're hearing people's stories and responding with grace and truth and pointing them and showing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. The third thing that we need to Jesus to help us change is the way that we love. The way that we love. You know, Jesus... Whenever he saw the crowds, look at this, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. Now, the Greek word for that is, listen closely, okay, it's exactly how you say it. Just kidding. It's all Greek to me. I'm, you're not going to remember it anyway, so that's how you spell it. So, but it literally means to be moved to one's bowels, Okay. Not vowels, bowels. It means to be in your gut, feel a compassion and a love for someone. It's the kind of love that like gives you the stank face, you know? Like really like, I love you and I hurt for you. And you're like, why are you looking at me like this? No, it moves us to our vows. And that's what Jesus did when he looked out on the crowds and he saw that they didn't have the hope that his father provided and they didn't have a hope for the future and they didn't have a love and a grace that anyone understood. He was moved to his bowels with compassion and love. We have to transform the way that we love our culture, love the people around us. And this is why Jesus looked at the harvest and had this thought. And this has been his MO since the beginning. For God so loved the world that he did something really crazy. He actually gave his son to be sacrificed for it. Because God loved us so much, he sent his only son who he cared deeply about and said, I want you to take their place because I love the world that much. Deep in my bowels, I don't want them to suffer. I don't want them to have a hopeless eternity. I want them to be with me because I created them. And this is how Jesus came. Listen to this. He did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him you see, Jesus didn't come and constantly start pointing at the culture and pointing at people and say, you're doing this wrong. You're missing the mark here. You're, you're not living up to God's standards here. No, 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 no. He came in and he loved well. And he sat with people and he looked at them and he listened to them. So why would we, as believers, think that we need to lean into a conversation and condemn someone for the way that they're living? or the way that they're acting. We've got to find the love that Jesus loved. The problem is, is sometimes when we meet people that have different standards than us, or have been raised in a different way than us, or maybe see things differently than us, that we are kind of overcome with this, like, I can't control this. This is not normal. This is kind of awkward. How do I talk to you? Because we have different paths. In 1 John 4, Jesus talks about this and, or John talks about this and he says that, that there's actually that fear, um, it's, there's no fear in love. No, we're, we love because God first loved us and there's no fear in that love. Even if you don't understand it or can't control it, you can't be driven by fear. Perfect love drives out all fear. And we've learned that fear is a terrible, terrible driver. When we are fearful, It is a terrible, terrible leader in our lives because we miss opportunities and we don't do certain things or we try to control a situation because we're fearful that it might fall apart under us. No, fear is driven out by perfect love. And as the great theologian, the green theologian, Yoda said, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear is leads to anger, and anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. How are we approaching the people in our world? Is it from a place of love that leads us to hate or anger or suffering? Are we approaching them with the love that Jesus showed over and over and over again? Can we get to a place where we look, where we listen, and we love people with a deep-seated love, the same love that compelled God to give up his only son on our behalf. If we're doing these three things, then it will inevitably change the way that we labor. And I do want to talk about that just for a second, about the way that we labor, because I think that we put a lot of pressure on these things, right? Like, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We we put, like, this unneeded, you know, pressure to to be able to perform and say, hey, I, it's, I mean, did you not hear Jesus, like, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are a few. So I got to do something now because there's lots of people out there that don't know Jesus. And the problem with that is, is we are putting all of our trust in us and the things that we need to do. And it's really hard too, because we want to do well. We want to labor well. We want to have faith or works with our faith. And so in this culture of immediacy, we feel like, if we're not seeing people come to know the Lord immediately, right? That we're failing. And we start to be feel guilty about what we're not doing or are we doing enough? And this culture of immediacy gets us everywhere. We want things now. Even when Mike gives us a challenge of a live for five and and you read on there, it's like, is this a typo? It says 12 months I'm supposed to pray for someone? Like 12? Like, it's like That's like a year, you know? Am I supposed to dedicate that many days of being on my knees and having intentional conversations? Am I supposed to do this? But even with what Mike shared up here, man, there is this urgency of which we're called to intercede on behalf of others so that they can see the hope and the grace and the love of Jesus. You know, the reason that God chooses to use the word labor is because it's going to be hard work. When I say labor to a lady who has had a baby, you're like, yeah, it's hard work. You know what I'm saying? Even with the juice, it's hard work. When we say labor to someone who is in a labor-intensive field, they know that labor means that you are working with your hands, you're sweating, you're gritting it out, day in, day out, and that is what we are called to do for the harvest, is to labor for it. The harvest is not a Chia pet. Right? Where we can sprinkle some gospel on it. We can have an intentional conversation. Maybe do a random act of kindness. And all of a sudden, it's like, man, they know the Lord. Well, praise God for that, you know? No, that's not the harvest. But as much as there is hard work and urgency, get this, church, there's also an incredible amount of peace and rest that we find in Jesus. As we look at the harvest, whenever God comes in, he says this, at the end of the age, he separates the sheep from the goats, and over here are the sheep, and they're going to go into heaven, and over here are the goats, they are not, and he looks at the sheep, and he says, you know what, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, when I was naked, you clothed me, when I was, when I was lost or sick, you you provided for me and healed me. And those people will look at Jesus and say, King, when did we ever see you naked or hungry or broken or sick? When did we ever come across you in that state? Listen to this. The king will say, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Guys, we we have to find a peace that even though the harvest is plentiful, that we can just start with one. That we can be called and compelled with one. Andy Standit said it like this He said, Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Start somewhere and find a peace that at the end of the day, it's not how good you are at it. It's not how awkward you are at it. It's not if it's clunky, well, you're a failure. It's not if I don't do the right things or say the right things that they'll miss Jesus. No, we've got to take some pressure off and say at the end of the day, I am just called to be faithful to one person in my path at this moment and let God take care of the results. Look at this in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, I planted... Apollo's watered, but God has makes it is making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God, who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters has one purpose, and they will each be recorded or rewarded according to their service and their labor. For we are all co-workers in God's service. And let's take some pressure off and say, God, how are you calling me today? To live for one. And how can I look at them, listen to them, and love them the way that you did so I can labor well? At the end of the day, to labor well, we need to see as Jesus saw. We need to feel as Jesus felt so that we will do as Jesus did. Let me close with the story. I went to New York um, with some students several years ago and we went and we met with this church planner, and this church planner had started planning a church in Park Slope, New York. It's in Brooklyn, and if you've been to to New York recently, in the last 10, 15 years, you'll know that that Brooklyn has turned into kind of like the hipster area. You know, it's like trendy, and, and it's like completely different. And so this pastor goes in, and he plants this church, and he, man, he is fired up. He's fired up. He heard this thing about the harvest is plentiful and especially in New York, and he's fired up. He's gonna go and he's gonna go work for the kingdom and he's gonna harvest things and see people come to fruit and knowing Jesus. And so he he hears actually a sermon that inspires him called the parable of the sower about how this sower was going out and he was spreading seeds to be able to produce a harvest, a crop. And some of the seeds landed on the path and it dried up. And some of the seeds landed in the rocky soil and it kind of bare some fruit, bore some fruit immediately. And then because of the rocks and the stones, it kind of dried out. Some of it fell on the thorns. And because of the sin that entangled, it didn't bear fruit. But some of it fell on good soil and bore fruit tens and hundreds and thousands of folds. And so this man, this church planter goes in and he's like, man, I am gonna be that person who plants good seeds on good soil. I'm gonna see a harvest. I'm gonna see in New York, God's landscape changed as people come to know him. So he starts this coffee shop. And he says, the coffee shop's gonna be the place where I meet people and I invite them to church, which also meets in the coffee shop. And then we're, we're all just gonna accept Jesus and worship together. And the Lord's gonna add to our number. But what he realized as he kind of got in here and he started meeting people is that people had these huge rocks in their life that had been there and put there by people and even Christians who had hated them because of the way that they lived. They had been marginalized. They had been because they had a different sexual orientation than than Christians agreed with that that. that Christians had actually thrown rocks at them and put them in their path because of the way that they were treated or the way that they hurt or things that had been done to them. For whatever reason or not, there was these rocks in people's lives. You know what that pastor, that church planner did? He said, you know what? I'm changing my goal and my mission. And I'm going to approach each and every conversation and I think what God is calling me to and what he has been calling me to is I'm gonna be someone who sits down and hears these people's hurts and their hangups and their hardships and loving them like Jesus, I am going to remove one stone at a time from their life. Praying that hopefully somebody will become right behind me and plant a seed water it and see it grow but my calling is to just remove one stone at a time sometimes that's what living scent means sometimes that's what laboring for the kingdom means the bottom of your bulletins you have some space on how you will choose to labor tomorrow this week would you pray and discern and maybe write down some stones people's lives that you know about. Would you choose to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone and engage this culture the way that Jesus did? Let's pray. God, thank you for your example. Thank you that you don't leave us to have to figure it out on our own. Lord God, you give us authority because you're a good God who invites us in to your work and your kingdom. Lord, may we open ourselves up. May we begin to put on fresh eyes and fresh ears and have a fresh heart with the people around us. May we look up and listen up. And may we love people the way that you loved. Lord, Lord, Would you show us some stones that need to be removed? And will we be persistent pursuers of people because you are a persistent pursuer of us? It's your name I pray, amen.